Welcome to the Moose Room, everybody. The OG3 is here, and we have a guest. She is a former Extension colleague, now has started her own farm. Maggie Stensis is with us, and she hopefully is ex- as excited as us that she's here. Very excited. Brad and I are actually in the same place. We're sitting in rooms right next door to each other, so we can yell through the wall at each other if we need to, which is it's always nice. Maggie, just give us a quick, where are you from? Where are you now? family, farm, just a little quick overview. Yeah, so I grew up in Lakeville, Minnesota on what I like to call my family's 4-H farm. So um, we had everything that we showed in 4-H as well as a very small commercial beef herd um, that started out with about 100 head when I was little but slowly dwindled as um, we got bigger and um, my mom and her aunts got more involved in things outside the farm. So um, I grew up on one of the very small percentages of farm that is run by women. Um, So my mom and my aunts ran our operation. Um, And then when I was 12, I started working on a neighbor's dairy farm. um, And that really grew my love for the dairy industry and led me to South Dakota State University, where I got a degree in dairy production as well as speech communication with a minor in animal science. So I like to joke if they offered a class about a cow, I took all of them, (laughs) beef and dairy. Um, And then when I graduated, uh, my husband and I uh, moved out to a ranch in uh, Western South Dakota. Um, We calved out 600 cows um, and learned a lot about the importance of uh, values on a farm and finding a place you work that aligns with your values. So after that, we moved to Pier where I was the communications director for the South Dakota Department of Agriculture. And we had our first son, Cooper, which was a little (laughs) traumatic. He was born two months early. Um, And earlier that day, I'd been on a ranch in Harding County, South Dakota, which is like the definition of middle of nowhere. Um, But we had to be airlifted. um, And so that whole experience really pushed us to move back home to Minnesota. So we moved back to Minnesota Um, in 2019 with the hopes of starting our own farm. I got a job with the University of Minnesota and then we started looking and about nine months later we finally found our place in Lonsdale, Minnesota. So we've been farming that since May of 2020 right in the peak of the pandemic. We moved in and uh, now we operate a direct-to-customer farm operation where we produce pasture-raised Um, meat, eggs, and then I do handcrafted goat milk soap. And in September last year, we welcomed our second son. So now we have two boys. So you've got your hands full, but you've definitely uh, (laughs) been a little bit of everywhere in the egg community. Maggie and I got to go a couple times together to go see cattle operations and here at the university. So um, it's really good to see her get to where she wanted to be was was owning her own farm. So that's really exciting to, to see that. And I, Love the Instagram because it lets me check in on what you're doing and how fast your farm is growing, which seems to be pretty fast. Yeah, I I had a friend the other day that was like, yeah, I I wish we had the guts to grow as fast as you guys. And I was like, are we growing that fast? Maybe we are. Um, In the last year we went. So growing up, um, like I said, my mom ran our farm, but my dad had one rule and that was no pigs. So we weren't allowed to have any pigs. And so as soon as we bought our farm, I, of course, bought pigs. And in the last year, we've raised 30 pigs. 
Um, so gone from zero to 30 in a year. So it's been a really good learning experience. I've really enjoyed it. They're super smart animals. So it's been really fun to get to know them and, and how they work. And of course, I love to eat pork. So it's, it's been really fun to raise our own pork as well. Before we get too much farther, I, I know Emily's chomping at the bit to ask you our two questions that we ask every guest. So I think we're going we're gonna to let her go. Jersey and Hereford, what is the total Joe now? All right, we've got our answers, so we might as well just throw them on the board. I hate you both. Well, and there's so many other cool things I want to ask Miggy and talk to her about. So let's get the questions out of the way. Miggy, your first question. What is your favorite breed of beef cattle? That would be Hereford. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's that's what we had growing up. And I love like their food driven mentality. Um, you know, like that ability to move them anywhere with feed. Yes. That's also how you move Brad around too. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) That that puts the totals uh at definitely Brad Brad being very happy. I heard him yell through the the wall here. Uh Black (laughs) Angus at eight, Hereford at eight. Black Baldy at four, Belted Galloway at two, Scottish Highlander at two, and then all with one, Stabilizer, Gelvy, Brahmin, Keenina, Charlay, Simita, Nalore, Jersey, Normandy, Shorthorn, and Red Angus. All right. So uh, a win for Bradley today with Herford's (laughs) tying Black Angus now for first. So Maggie, your second question, you may have kind of guessed, is what is your favorite breed of dairy cattle? Oh my goodness. Now that one's definitely harder. Oh, depends on the day. All right. What about today? <laughs> today? It's small um, so and we, brown. <laughs> no, definitely not that one. <laughs> um, <laughs> that one's a for sure no. Um, no. So we currently have a pro cross from the U and I really like her. So pro- probably her right now. Yeah, I, I do love the look of a Guernsey. I think they're so pretty, high quality Guernseys. I think they're so pretty, but they're not very practical. And you can't go wrong with a whole steam. But I think Pro Cross right now is my favorite. So if we said you we, couldn't pick a cross, we'll breed. take Pro Cross. We'll, we I know. Will uh, the Pro Cross today. But yes. if, then I'd probably say Holstein. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So disappointing. And you took shots at Jersey, which makes it even oh. worse. I, I I can't stand jerseys. I'm sorry. They're my least favorite. That is it, on, heartbreaking. When you're surrounded by jerseys, it's so loud because they're clacking on everything. They're chewing on everything. I just can't stand them. Sorry. Do you, you see what you did? Brad just left. <laughs> yeah. You heard that. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You you managed to upset both Bradley and Joe. So <laughs> I am upset. I am very happy about this. But uh, Joe, run through the tallies really quick. Fine. Holstein's at 15. Jersey's at nine. Brown Swiss at five. Montbelliard at three. Dutch Belted at two. Normandy at two. And Guernsey at one. Just heartbroken. Heartbroken. (laughs) Well, now that we got that done, we can kind of get into the good stuff here. And I kind of wanted to to start off because I have known Maggie for about 10 years now um, and have, you know, it sounds a little cliche or a little cheesy, but I have just watched Maggie grow over time. And, and I know how much she's always wanted to, to have her own farm and to just watch the triumphs and the tribulations uh, that they've gone through to get to where they are. And now to see how successful they are 
is just incredible. You know, Maggie mentioned she does a lot on Instagram and it's just so fun. So New Frontier Farms on Instagram. My first question I want to ask you, Maggie, what has been the one thing that has surprised you the most about farming on your own, maybe doing the the direct to consumer sales? What What's the one thing? When you think of direct to consumer sales, you think of like, awesome. I got to set my own price point. Like I'm not at the mercy of the market, but you have to set your own price point. <laughs> and that has been the hardest thing of, you know, what are we worth and um, making sure we're making money because my first batch of chickens, I made $10 on because I didn't predict certain costs and um, we just did an educated guess. And so that's definitely been the hardest part. You didn't tell us about actually what you did and what your farm's all about and what your, you said, you talked about chickens, didn't you? We probably should run to the species. Yeah, yeah. So um, we pasture-raise um, pigs, chickens, turkeys, and then we also have uh, laying hens as well. Uh, and then we have a herd of dairy goats that we milk to turn their milk into soap. And hopefully we're going to get to the point of selling it for dog food as well. That's next on my list. Um, and then we have a herd of cows just kind of for fun. So we have um, one pro cross cow that we calf share. Um, and then we have two steers that we're grass, grass feeding that we'll just have for our family and friends. Go into a little more depth on the calf share. Tell me how that works and how you set that up. So for all honesty's sake, right now, just the calf has her because with our setup, it's a lot of work and hand milking a dairy cow is not, not the favorite. I would, I would hand milk 15 goats before I would hand milk a cow, um, especially her because she was a heifer and just isn't comfortable with that situation. So for the first month, we would hand milk her either every day or every other day. And then we slowly weaned it to where we will, were doing every three days, four days. And then finally, we just let the calf have her. Um, but over the winter, we're going to be installing a milking system for our dairy goat herd. And I will be keeping one of the units so we can do it on our cow. So next year when she calves in, um, we'll be milking her probably once a day throughout her entire lactation so that we can have milk for our family and make all the good dairy products ourselves. But this year just isn't feasible. And I mean, her calf's two and a half months old and is a monster. Like she's a beast. And I joked, I was like the one person who wanted a dairy bull calf when she calved and she had a heifer, of course, because that would have been a really nice steer. But we're just raising the heifer calf for now. And um, we haven't decided if we'll keep her on farm or if we'll sell her yet because um, she's looking really nice. But she's 75% um, Holstein. She's going to milk a lot, kind of just taking it day by day. I said, that's one thing that we never talked about in school, like never, ever. And so honestly, I've pulled more from breastfeeding my children on this experience <laughs> because it's a lot more related to that. And it's been a good learning experience. I wish it's something they talked about more in school because I think it's, you know, a feasible option for somebody who has a small operation like us or wants to have their own milk. And I've learned a lot from people who homestead on Instagram, um, kind of watching what they do with their milk cow and and how they calf share. And it's been a fun experience. She She's pretty tame. You know, we've had her since she was a calf, so works out pretty well. The big question for me when I hear this kind of setup is, are you going to pasteurize the milk? And how are you going to do that? And how do you have it set up to do that if, if you are going to? 
we pasteurize the milk. So we have a small two gallon pasteurizer. We use that for our goats just for, so you don't pass CAE. So we pasteurize all of our goat milk before giving it to kids. Um, So we purchased that for the goats. And then we also use it on the cow's milk too. After taking dairy microbiology, I don't ever plan to consume raw milk. Um, And so I'm all about (laughs) pasteurizing um, the milk, especially with hand milking. You know, it's just a lot more chance for bacteria. Perfect answer. Uh, The veterinarian (laughs) in me is like so happy. Don't drink raw milk. Don't do it. It's just a bad idea. Please, we implore you. (laughs) So awesome. I'm so glad you're doing that. One of the things that I think about, Maggie, when you start talking about this stuff is you're trying about a bunch of new things you've never done before. Like you talked about with the pigs and I don't know if you ever hand milked goats before and did that on a large scale, but probably not. How do you decide to just be like, I'm going to jump into this and I'm going to, I'm going to go for it. And how do you start that process? Where do you get your information? Because sometimes that can be a little hard to track down. Well, first of all, that's just my personality. Like I'm somebody that I get an idea. I probably read a book and then I go do it. Or I read the book while I'm doing it. <laughs> Depends on it. The pigs, it was someday I want to get pigs. And then I saw a lady was selling six pigs on Facebook. And I was like, hey, let's just do it. I mean, worst comes to worst. We just eat six pigs. And like our turkeys, I was like, let's just get 15 turkeys. That's the least amount you can get. At the university, I had worked with them a little bit and I thought they were super curious and I was really fascinated by them. So I was like, hey, let's give it a try. How much different is it than chickens? Let's give it a try. Got 15, raised 13 turkeys last year, and we had 60 people put in requests on our website for turkeys. So this year we're raising 55 of them, um, which has been a huge learning curve, Um, especially we raise heritage turkeys so they can fly. And so it's been a learning experience. Luckily, they, in their defense, they are the easiest animals to put in. When I go out there, just they just like run to me and I open the gate and they go in. It's just kind of learn on the fly. We have a really great vet that we've established a relationship with. She's actually my neighbor, which is a huge benefit for me. And she has only been a, a certified vet for a year. And so she's learning kind of with us. And I think kind of our approach of like, we're really interested in learning. And so is she offers a really beneficial relationship for both of us. And then just finding people, um, especially, so I grew up with meat goats and we had friends that really good friends that had dairy goats. And my husband had said, you know, I think Lamanches are cool. So that's the dairy goat breed with the little ears. And so I told our friend, Hey, if you guys ever want to get rid of one, you know, we'll take one. And she goes, well, we have one now. So we got it sooner than we expected last year at this time. I had one dairy goat. Um, I now currently have eight and six of them will hopefully be kidding next year. And that has just been from learning from people around us. So I'm very fortunate. My sister started dating a dairy goat farmer um, in the last, they started dating like a year ago. So he's been a super great resource and we've actually bought four goats from him. And then I also went, went with him to the national goat show. I learned more in a week there than I had my entire life raising goats than any book I could read um, because I was surrounded by people who have been raising goats for 10, 20, 30. One had even been raising them for 50 years. 
So to be able to pick their brains and learn from them has been super beneficial. Um, we also um, are touring as many dairies as we can. So over the next year, like I said, we'll be putting in a, um, a milking system. And so I'm trying to look at different dairies, see how we want to set it up in order to grow our operation. And the fortunate thing with goats is, you know, you hope you to get like a 200% kid crop so you can grow really fast if you want it's nice to kind of see other people's operations and and see what works for them whether they have 10 goats or 50 um, and kind of get an idea of, of what we want with that don't be afraid to ask questions don't be afraid to like seem like ask stupid questions you know and and I think with pigs I have friends from college that I text and say hey what do you think about this or the people I buy my pigs from they've been really great resources as well so you know make sure you're buying from people that will establish that relationship with you to to be the one that asks the questions or or hey what do you think about this too I I mean there's a lot of things in there that I I absolutely love about that answer first of all you would be one of my favorite clients in practice, but the clients I love the most is where I got to learn along with the producer. And we, we, it was a team and it felt like a team trying to move forward in making decisions and learning about a new process or anything like that. So your veterinarian doesn't know everything, not, not even close. I enjoy learning. That's why we're vets. And that's why I'm at extension because I get to learn every day. And so when I got to learn with clients, it was awesome. And I learned more from clients than I ever learned in school. So that that's what made it such a good relationship for me. So I love that you have that with your veterinarian. And then I think this is completely illustrates how open the agricultural community is to bringing more people in and, and, and helping them learn about something, because I don't think you could do it if you, if you didn't have people that you could lean on and had that network of people to, to, to go to. I, I love it. It's not just we're doing this and we have to figure it out for ourselves, but yes, the relationship with your vet and yes, being in touch with friends from college that, you know, have experience and, you know, the people that you're buying your, your livestock from. I think that that's so great. The, the question that I had, so, you know, you've talked a lot about like, oh yeah, we just bought these pigs and bought these turkeys. And at the end of the day, you are running a business what influences your business decisions? Like, is it just, this is something I want to try or you're getting demand from your customers for something, maybe a combination of, of both and, and some other things. So yeah, just talk a little bit about how, how you decide kind of what you're going to do next or how you're going to invest next in your business. So I think my answer a year ago would be very different than my answer now. Um, I think we've learned a lot about ourselves and our business over this first year of business. And really the, the largest factor is what animals can I raise while also having my two children with me? You know, I do 75% of the things with my kids. A year ago, I had four dairy heifers and I had six steers and we were going to go down that route. But with our setup, I, I can't be moving cows. I can't be milking cows with my children with me unless we're going to put in a ton of money into our infrastructure. Once we realized that, that really helped us in making decisions and um, really encouraged us to grow our goat herd because I can have my my one-year-old in a pen with full-grown goats, you know, and, and I can have them working with them just alongside me. And so that is one of the biggest factors. The other is 
We try to do market research. It's, it's so hard to figure out what people want and they will tell you what they want and then they won't come buy it. But what we really think is let's raise it, see if we can sell it. If not, it has to be something we'll consume ourselves as a family, you know, with meat goats. I didn't eat goat meat. Like I, I don't like it. I, it's not something I'm interested in. And so we sold our meat goats because we couldn't, we couldn't do it. We try to listen to our, you know, our customers. So this year we're offering all of our chicken, our turkeys, as well as our pig are fed no corn, no soy, non-GMO um, feeds. They primarily consist of barley and pea. We started looking into that because um, I had found some research in pork of the high quality fat that that barley produces. And so the more we looked into it, um, the more we wanted to try that premium product. So we, we want to not only have that pasture raised, which really catches people's attention, but we also want to make sure that we have a premium product that tastes really, really good. And we just processed our first pig that was completely finished on barley and peas. And it was amazing how you could taste the difference. Like that, that high quality fat, you know, I, I did a pork chop in the air fryer and honestly, it tasted like bacon, the fat on it. It was so good. And so being able to see that and hear from people that this is the best pork chop I've ever had, or this is like, we can't keep bacon in stock. Like we sell out our bacon in like a week. It's just crazy. But just listening to people, what do they like? How do they cook things? Our chicken, it's, we're going to be scaling down for next year. First reason is I don't really like chickens. <laughs> Um, my husband really likes them, but I, they're not my favorite. Animal. I just, I just don't like them. And we just haven't been able to sell them as much last year when we only had chicken, we sold quite a bit, but now when somebody can, am I going to buy bacon or chicken? Like which one are you going to buy? Um, so next year we raised 300 chickens this year uh, or 350. I think next year we'll raise about 200. I think that's kind of our sweet spot, but this year we raised 30 pigs. And, you know, I hope to increase that to, you know, 40 or 50 going forward, just because I find the pigs more enjoyable and our pork um, sells really well. And just trying to figure out, you know, what markets we're going into and, and what farmers markets are worth our time and our money because farmers markets can cost a lot of money. So we're trying to focus more on delivery. We work with a farm in Farmington um, and she's a produce farmer that I was in 4-H with as a kid. We're kind of partnering together as two women-owned businesses, and she's closer to the population of the Twin Cities, which is really nice, and she doesn't charge me anything. You know, some weeks I'll sell a ton, and it'll be great, and if I don't sell much, it was just two hours of my time. You can give her a shout-out. What's oh, yeah, the farm? Sure. Yeah. That yes, uh, Thompson Family Farm. So she's kind of in between Farmington, Lakeville, and Northfield. Um, and it's been really great to partner with her. We also did a meal kit this year. So that's actually how our partnership started. Um, so we did like HelloFresh, only local. Um, so each week people would come and pick up a meal that fed four people. She would come up with the recipes and the veggies. Um, and she's also a cottage food producer. Um, so she would make breads and homemade tortillas and all that stuff. And wow. I would show up with the chicken or the pork and then the people would make it. So that's how we started. Our partnership was with that. We were at a farmer's market in Lakeville and it got canceled on us like two months in. Literally the day they canceled it was the day I picked up four pigs from the processor. And I was like, oh my goodness, like I have a thousand pounds of meat. I just picked up. What am I going to do with it? And so I messaged her and I said, hey, I hear you're having a farm market. Can I come out? And the first week she had a farmer's market 
at her farm. It didn't go super well. And then the next week I showed up and she invited uh, someone that makes really good cookies and we had a huge turnout and it's been really beneficial because people actually come and buy where at farmer's markets, there's so much time where you explain what you do on your farm for 15 minutes and that person walks away without buying anything. Where at this farm market, people come to buy and we have started to get regulars and um, people that are just being really consistent. And if I can turn that customer from you bought, you know, four pork chops, you really liked them. Now you're going to come buy a little bit more and eventually you're going to buy a half a pig from me. That's way less work on my end. So it's a, it's a great opportunity to really transform them into larger customers. So kind of along those lines, you jump in, you try all these things, and then it sounds like you're listening to your customer base. And I assume you're kind of treating marketing that same way. So one really unintentional thing with our turkeys is when I had looked to what breed a turkey to raise, I Googled what's the best tasting turkey. And I had found that heritage turkeys or bourbon red turkeys are the best tasting. Well, unintentionally, my customers were doing the exact same thing. So they were looking at what's the best tasting turkey. They were finding the same results and then they were punching in bourbon red turkey, Minnesota, and they were finding us. That's how we found, you know, 60 people in our first year with zero marketing. They just Googled us and found us. And so that has been a huge, hugely beneficial for our turkeys is just people Googling the same things I was, you know, we do a lot on social media trying to establish that connection with people, um, have them see kind of our day to day. Lately, to be honest, I felt really stuck. I'm currently looking into what can we do with paid marketing? Because that's a big step for a small operation like us to go from organic reach to paid. Um, So I'm really trying to do research on that. We have a newsletter I send out every week that is really beneficial for selling our halves, our holes, as well as our turkeys. Um, currently, I have half of my turkeys sold, and that's been purely from my newsletter. So that hasn't been from social media or anything. Also, like Facebook groups. So Lawn Sale Happenings, that's our local Facebook group. Um, I've sold a lot of um, halves and holes through that group. There's some bigger Minnesota-wide groups, but they're so saturated that it's really hard to compete in those unless you say like that perfect thing. So like Laura with Thompson family farm has a really good knack for like writing the perfect thing. And so she's had a couple posts, like go almost viral in that group um, in like the farm direct Minnesota. So that has been really beneficial for her and us, but yeah, we try to work with our local pages on Facebook and you know, a lot of people like to buy local, you know, we didn't, plan on selling a lot of meat in Lonsdale, but we find that our town wants to support people within the town. Um, they want to say, Hey, where's your farm at? And they know exactly, you know, we have a pretty obvious red barn. They know exactly where it is. So, um, you know, finding that local community that wants to support a, a local business. As I think about your social media, there's a, there's like an overload of cuteness just about everywhere when we're talking about, okay, the pigs and, and, I know you don't like chickens, but sometimes they're cute as well. And, and especially they're my my worst performing posts, just so you know, people don't like chickens on my page. Even when Cooper's like (laughs) helping you move them and do stuff like that. Yeah. They're like my lowest. Really don't like chickens. All right. Well, how do you balance the fact that some of the, some animals have names, some animals are super cute and you're, you're putting that out to the world, but then, I mean, they're all food eventually. Have you had any blowback from that? Yeah. I would say in person more, I get the, 
you name them because we name all of them and mainly it's so like for identification purposes because you can't tag a pig and so for me it's just easier to name them and have identifying characteristics on each one and honestly it'd be the same whether I called them one two three four five or I called them Jack Goose and I'm Michael you know those are my three right now in in person people get but but you name them and I say well I give them only one bad day you know, that, that is my goal on my operation is I give them the best life possible. And then they just have that one bad day. And I, I know exactly what their entire life cycle was. And, um, that a lot of people understand that, that, um, we're doing this for the animal's benefits. And unfortunately they have that one bad day because at the end of the day, we all want to eat bacon on social media. I don't get it as often when I initially started promoting things, I was worried about like vegan activists or vegetarians. Knock on wood, we've only found a couple of them so far. Honestly, other farmers are the hardest part of social media is, you know, whether they're degrading the way I do things or just saying mean things or whatnot. Um, Honestly, I've had more hate from other farmers than I have from um, vegan activists. But one of my main goals is I grew up in conventional agriculture. I have my roots in conventional agriculture. I've been trained in conventional agriculture. And I firmly believe that negative advertising, negative promotion will never do anyone good in the long run. And so it's always about positive. And I'm, I'm not degrading the way that, you know, pigs are raised in confinement because honestly, there's a lot of benefits. You know, the biosecurity, the climate control, those things... I can't control on my operation, but I focus really specifically on creating a premium product. And I believe pork should not be the other right meat. I want that deep, rich pork. And that's how I'm going to promote it. I'm not saying that there's anything bad with conventional pork. And if that's what you can afford, a lot of times that's what we could afford before we were raising it ourselves. So I think that's, you know, one of the biggest things I, I focus on because a lot of people in our situation do bash conventional agriculture. And, and I promised myself that I will never do that because I've, I've worked on a 20,000 cow dairy, you know, like I, I know, I know how it works from the smallest to the biggest too. So, but yeah, farmers can be tough on social media. And this is something that we've talked about before on the show. And especially when Natasha Mortensen was on, it, I, I've never understood it. It's all the agricultural community and that's, that's another farmer. So there's no reason to be that way from either direction, you know, from the conventional side or from the organic natural, whatever you want to call it on the other side, non-conventional farming, small versus big. It doesn't matter. doesn't honestly even matter between dairy and almonds. When we have that discussion, it's still all egg. So you're, you're talking about another farmer when you're saying those things. And, and that always puts just a terrible feeling in my gut when I see those things. Just a perfect reminder, positive is better than negative. We're all farmers, all in the agricultural community. I, I'm disappointed to hear that that's the, how, you've, uh, how you've seen it go, but hopefully that'll, that'll change. I gotta, I gotta know, how excited are you when you do get to do chores without your kids? oh it's it's heavenly to be honest it's it's the time where I can like actually like focus on the animals and be present in my mindset and like this is what I've wanted to do my whole life 
you know, when I have my kids and worry, you know, what is one doing? Why is one screaming? Are they safe? All this stuff. And, and like, don't get me wrong. I love it. I, I love that they are growing up in this atmosphere and that they're getting to experience the animals like we are, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful thing when I can do chores by myself or even like if Nick will do like, I call them like outside chores. So like go into the pasture and, and take care of everything in the pasture. And if I can just milk by myself, it's great. <laughs> so there, there's lots of chores to get done with having all these different species on, on one place. So, and one of the, my favorite posts that you guys have ever put together is just the series of events in a night. And I think it surprises people that all those chores happened in one night, one evening. It's nice to see, because I don't think a lot of people understand that's what farming is for a lot of people. And I think sometimes farming gets a little romanticized and people forget that it's just a bunch of hard work. You've, you've been a bunch of different places, like you said, big dairy, big beef operation. Is it a little different now that you have like a scattering of different species and are the chores a little different or is it still the same amount of work, but just different? How does that all flow? Yeah. I mean, um, we're really affected by the time of the year, you know, so like, um, the, our pe- our poultry peaks in like August. So, you know, I was feeding 300 chickens at one t- point and right now I have only my layers. So we're really affected by kind of like a beef operation where you have calving season and then it slows down and then weaning, but we have all of those different things kind of intertwining with each other and, um, you know, trying to keep track of, okay, I'm getting my goat spread, but at the same time, I got to be watching for heat with my cow and takes a lot more like, I feel like mental juggling because I can't just be in one place at one time. And I think a lot of times like people don't get that they need to be taken care of twice a day, (laughs) which I think is so funny. I was in a mom's group in our town and the woman said, you have to feed them twice a day. I'm like, Yep. Yeah. Every day, Christmas even too. It gets a little tricky to keep track of everything. And and with our pigs, it gets a little tough because we have, you know, I have three different sets of pigs right now. And it'd be nice if I just had, you know, 50 in one pen um, versus, you know, three different sets, but it's good. They they keep me entertained. So I get my steps in every day. So that, that benefits too. Definitely get your steps in. So does Nick work full-time with you on the farm or is he doing something else? So he works full-time off the farm. Um, so he were, he's a metal fabricator at a place called BTD in Lakeville. Um, so he actually, he's been on mandatory overtime since last October. So he works 50 hours a week. Um, and then he ideally comes home and, and helps with night chores, but it just depends on the time of the year and and what's going on. So um, I take care of the farm during the day. And then we try to do big projects on the weekends when we're both around. Last year during the winter time, I also had a part-time job off the farm. And I will probably be going back to that just a little bit once we dry up our goats. Um, But when I'm milking, it's just not possible to have an in-town job as well. Well, that's a big piece of the the farming lifestyle and community that, again, maybe people in the cities don't understand. There is a lot of moving pieces with just the farm, but then you add in all the other moving pieces as well, where there's usually multiple jobs going on. Like you said, big projects on the weekends, trying to get done all of that. Again, I appreciate your social media and how well you guys show that there's just a bunch of different moving pieces that have to come together perfectly for this to work. This is a little personal question. 
So you don't have to answer if you don't want. I mean, as you guys go through this pretty stressful process of starting a new business, taking quite a bit of leaps as you go through this whole thing with everything, financial, um, just the animals themselves, having kids through this whole process as well. How have you guys maintained and figured out how to have some sort of work-life balance and then make time for your relationship as well? Yeah, <laughs> that's like the million dollar question. And then add a pandemic onto it, you know, so, you know, you can't really ask for outward help in the middle of a pandemic. I'm a thousand times thankful that we moved back home before starting this. Um, we had looked into starting a farm out in South Dakota, but just couldn't figure out the numbers. And so we rely on my family a lot. Um, my aunt and uncle watch the boys one day a week. And then my parents will fill in as needed. And that is super beneficial. So if we do want a date night or, you know, like this weekend, it wasn't really a date night, but we went and picked up a goat together, um, you know, but on a farm, that's, that's a date night and getting to do chores, just the two of us, that is kind of our, our chance, you know, granted it's working, but just the other night, the boys were sleeping and Nick said, you know, do you want to come in the truck with me and go do chores? And I could have stayed in the house and got things done, but it was nice to just be together. And that's really how our relationship formed is we wanted to farm together. And, you know, I hope, you know, 10 years down the road when we can afford our health insurance that we can both be on the farm together and, and have that where we could get a lot of things done and have more time for each other. I'm not saying it's been easy on our relationship. We've learned a lot about each other and, our strengths and weaknesses and, and how we can really align those together. And, you know, fortunately we have worked together in the past on the ranch, we worked together. So that was a good baseline before jumping into business with each other. If your relationship's rocky, I would not recommend starting a business with your partner <laughs> um, because it definitely will, it will test you, you know, and, and figuring out each other's goals. Um, Nick, wants bigger, better all the time. Like his ultimate goal would be to have a really big pasture-raised operation. I never want to get to the point where I have to have full-time employees because I want to manage the animals. I don't want to manage people. Um, so finding a balance between the two of those things um, and how we can work together. A lot of moving pieces, trying to get it all right. But it, it sounds like you guys have it figured out pretty well. Emily, you had something? <laughs> yeah, well, I was just going to add you know, from, from the stress management and mental health standpoint, I think that it is so important that you are still finding that time to focus on your relationship together. Um, you know, and I know how important your boys are to both of you. And I think you do a great job of really making sure they're happy and taken care of, but also knowing they don't need you 100% of the time. <laughs> and I just think it's really important to strike all of that balance. And and, you know, again, I follow you on social media. I know you have friends and stuff that you see too. And so I think it's just so important that you really seem like you, you and Nick both have approached this of like, we are not going to lose ourselves in the farm. That probably plays a really big role in, in how happy you are and how well things are going. And I think what you said with the kids, you know, I think it can be so tough, you know, any working mom, it can be so tough to, to find that balance, to feel like you're not giving hundred percent to your job and you're not giving hundred percent to your kids, you know, and when they're in the same place, you know, it, it gets tough. And yesterday I was thinking, oh, you know, I should go do this, this, and this on the farm, but my kids are sick. 
So I'm going to stay in, I'm going to take care of them, you know, and at the end of the day, they're the most important thing. And, and I think about, I can't remember who that started the safety campaign, but you're a parent first and a farmer second, you know, and I think that's really important on the farm as well as in finding that, that balance that they do come first. And as much as I love cows right now is not the time for cows because I can't guarantee my kids are safe around them in our current setup. And so just, just finding that balance with what works with them and also like, it's okay if they watch like a little TV while I get something done. <laughs> like right now. <laughs> exactly. Boy, we really hit two two strong points today. You know, positive comments about a veterinarian for Joe. Positive comments about safety for me. Herford, Herford, Herford is number one for Brad. <laughs> that, that's all we need for Brad. Pasture raised is also kind of Brad thing. Exactly. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Maggie, where can, uh, where can people find you? get in contact with you, your products. Tell us how people can get a hold of you. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at New Frontier Farms. Our website is newfrontierfarms.org. You can shop all of our meat products. We deliver to the Twin Cities and we deliver for free to Lonsdale, Montgomery, and New Prague, and then for a small fee to the rest of the cities. You can also order our soap. Our soap can be shipped nationally. Um, So can get that good goat milk soap and you can subscribe to our newsletter there they get first dibs if you want some delicious pasture-raised bacon they will get first dibs on that come beginning of november and they get first dibs at turkeys and stuff too so subscribe there i just subscribed myself so uh, (laughs) i don't know how i missed doing that before but i'm excited to get my first newsletter with that any comments questions scathing rebuttals to this episode can go to the moose room at umn.edu that's t-h-e M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu. And because Bradley was complaining last week or whenever he was on the last episode, we are going to plug at U-M-N-W-C-R-O-C Dairy on Instagram. And we'll cut the plugs there just so Bradley's happy. Thank you. You're welcome. Have <laughs> We'll catch you guys all next week. Bye. Bye. I'm just thinking of Brad still going... Beef. 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 Hello. Hello. How are you, Cooper? Hi, Cooper. Can you say bye? Bye.